Welcome to the 90th Minute Whistle Podcast. I'm your host, Mario. I'm here with my co-host, our guest co-host for, um, for the day, um, Lance Thomas. Yo, Mario. Happy to be here, man. Uh, yeah, so Lance is um, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's someone that I've speak to about sports a lot. Uh, my co-host, Leon, my other co-host, Leon, um, is pretty busy working on our website and uh, a few stuff for our social media pages. So he's off for the day. <laughs> um, hmm. Hmm. So it's great to have um, Lance here with me today. Um, yes. Lance is also the host of the One Love um, Sports Show. Yes. Um, Lance, could you tell the people a little bit about the One Love Sports Show? Well, the, the One Love Sports Show is a 30 minutes, just about 30 minutes, sometime a little bit less, sometime a little bit more. And it really covers the whole spectrum of sports. It's really very quick takes on hot topics and hot games and events happening in the world of sports. So it's a very, it's a very, very speed, it's a speed version. It's really live sports on steroids, you know, so it goes through very quickly through all of the major sports, be it football, basketball, um, NFL, you know, all of the, and, and also there's a, there's a segment in the program for Mara is, is a, a co-host of the program. And there's a segment where we look at topics which are not in mainstream news, you know, so very enjoyable, um, lighthearted, but um, very compact sports update program weekly. It's published on Thursday nights every week. And it does a review of the past seven days and then a preview of upcoming games. And we, can, and we can find that on, we can find the One Love Sports Show on Spotify, on Anchor, and wherever else you get your podcasts from. Yes, yes certainly you can. It's the One Love Sports Show, yeah. Um, yeah and it's hosted, um, it's a product, um, from rooted and grounded in Jamaica, but branched out worldwide. Okay, so let's get into it um, for today. Um, I wanted to start with the African Cup of Nations, being that um, African football isn't really looked at that much. And we are starting to see a lot of, uh, we're not just even starting, but there have always been African stars throughout football. Um, but now that we have the social media era, I think that, um, a lot of African football is starting to be paid attention to a little bit more. Um, I have a bias towards African football, and mm. I've always tried to like highlight it. Um, much like oh, you have Super Mario Adventures on the One Love Sports Show. I try yeah. to use Live Sports um, as my platform to kind of highlight um, the leagues that I watch that aren't mainstream that I do think deserve a lot more credit. And the African Cup of Nations was supposed to be held in 2021, but due to, you know, COVID issues and also picking a country to, for it to be um, hosted in because it's supposed to be a summer competition, but uh, due to the heat in Africa, due to the weather in Africa, they try to keep it um, at an earlier time, closer to winter to spring, where, you know, it's a bit cooler in Africa, where they can, um, they can have more choices in, in countries that can host it. Um, yes. This particular African Cup of Nations has been very shocking. A lot of the shocking. teams that we were... Yeah, like a lot yeah, of the teams. Yeah. I remember but, where you, were, you were mentioning it to me on um, One Love Sports show. Oh, 
the upsets which are happening, you know, that some of the big teams have dropped out, didn't uh, make it far at all. I think um, among the casualties there uh, were Ghana. I think you mentioned Ghana was a big name that dropped out. Uh, yeah, they're one of the ones that uh, a lot of people saw going to the latter stages of the competition. Um, yes. And they didn't really live up to expectations. And also Algeria as yes. well. They're, they're the current champions. And they, they finished fourth in their group. Even fourth. with the likes of Riyad even, Marius. Wow, not even barely missing out. Like fourth. Wow, bottom of the team. Yeah, like lost two matches and drew their last one. Mm. Um, so they got destroyed. Well, what do you think? What, what, what do you think is responsible for this, uh, Mary? Is it um, is it that the playing field is um more level, or is it COVID impacting? You know, or is it um availability of players? What is it that is impacting? It's causing these upsets. Um, one of the things that is causing it is, well, it's actually multiple things. And you actually named some of them a while ago because it's really yeah. multiple factors. Yeah. One, availability of players, not in terms of COVID issues, but if I was to use the Algeria national team as an example, a lot yes. of the players who should have been at the competition this year decided not to go and to remain with their clubs because, hey, I won this from my country already. Mm -hmm. So Algeria had a very heavy starting eleven. But what mm -hmm. used to be their bench, we could, um, you could bring on players to change the game and a lot of players, even some starters, like um, Ben Asir from AC Milan, one of their best midfielders. He decided not to go and he was the best player in, their, in the competition last, last time they won. So mm -hmm. he decided, hey, I already won this from my country and I was a standout player in the competition. I'm staying at AC Milan to continue the titles. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of teams are underestimating the teams that have um, that are in the competition this year. So teams like Gabon, despite not bringing Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, um, they still finished second in their group, where Ghana finished fourth. Yes, and, and Ghana brought all of their stars. Wow. Um, teams like Senegal. Uh, drew their first two games because they were they were taking teams lightly, mm. and we saw how um, Zimbabwe gave them trouble, Malawi gave them trouble, Guinea gave them trouble, and these are teams that you were expecting. Oh, you have guys like Sadio Mane on your team, um, Idris Agana gave from Paris Saint Germain, uh, Cheko Kuyate from Crystal Palace, uh, Quilly Bali, uh, the defender from Napoli. You have players like that, um, Boa Sar, a right back from Bayern Munich. Like, you have players like that, you should be walking over teams like uh, Malawi, Zimbabwe, Guinea, and it's not happening that way. Mm. Okay, okay. Um, tell me, the, just curious about the prize and the incentive for players in the African Cup of Nations. Because... I just said player availability is one of the things, and some people make a business decision to stay with their clubs because it offers a more, more long-term income earning um, option over jeopardizing that their career and going to get picking up an injury, playing for a team that they're not training with all the time. I mean, and they also have work of qualifying as well playing. So 
I mean, they are they're trying to manage uh, their their health and fitness. Now, do is it is it a good business decision? Because how lucrative is the prize winnings for the African Cup of Nations champions? It's not very lucrative, but most players um, did it for the pride of their country. Uh, for example, guys, yeah. Um, because, for example, guys like Drogba and Eti would not miss a competition. Okay. But is, is it a case where most of the countries are treating it as a good exposure program and development for their uh, the players who are resident in the country? And they, for the foreign-based players, they more target them towards the World Cup qualifiers uh, so that they can be in the World Cup? But for the African Cup of Nations, they maybe give more exposure and more um, opportunities to those who are home-based and those who wouldn't have normally gotten exposure. Is that is that a strategy that some countries? But I, I tend to feel like maybe that's what's happening. Well, you see, here's a, here's a good thing about that. And I'm glad you brought that up because the reality is one of the things I love about the African Cup of Nations, no matter what year it is, whether it was the years of um, JJ Okochas to the Samuel Etos and Dragmas, to now, one of the good things about the African Cup of Nations is that they've always found a balance between, hey, some of the best players in our country who play in our leagues will be at the competition and we will still have a balance of players who are from overseas. So I wouldn't see that as any like major thing because it has, it has always been that way for African football. It has always been that good mixture. Okay. Just for comparison, I recognize, I did, I did a little research and I realized that like in the last Euro um, championship, the, the winner got, I uh, think, what, third? That was Italy, yeah. They got about almost 40 million US dollars, just over 40 million US dollars in total prize money. $10 million came from the finals itself, win the finals itself. But they obviously win as they, they, they well, they accumulate prize winnings as they win games. And then compared to the African Cup of Nations, where the winner of the final gets uh, 5 million, so you can see already start to see the disparity, which you would expect. We're talking about more lucrative um, countries with much more deeper pockets, you know, um, but I can start to see that sometimes when you look at the business, as I said, it has to be a loyalty, patriotism, you know, just that really is the most, uh, gives the most incentive for players to go and play in African Cup Nation because from a prize winning, it may not be all that glitter, uh, all that uh, encouraging for them to participate. And I'm glad you, I, like I said, I'm glad you brought it up because um, it's not just for the African Cup of Nations. Even in the World Cup, now for the World Cup, a lot of players are much more willing because it's World Cup. Um, it's a World Cup stage. For sure. Yes. Yes, but one of the problems with African teams over the years, especially Ghana, um, has suffered for this for years. Um, there's always been bickering over the earnings. And you remember that last great Ghana team with SCN, Kevin Prince mm -hmm. Boateng, who got mm -hmm. knocked out by Uruguay? Mm -hmm. There was there, a lot of those players stopped playing for Ghana early because they weren't paid after that World Cup and for mm. um, African Cup of Nations. So mm. now that a lot of African countries' um, economies are getting better, 
uh, still not where they want to be, but they're getting better. Um, you see teams now like you see teams like now Comoros are starting to play in this competition and paying their players. Guinea Bissau, okay. Sudan, Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. Equatorial Guinea. Like these um these these uh teams are starting to be able to play players. Tunisia, who qualified third in their group but still managed to make the round of sixteen. Um, yes. They're one of the favorites now to win, and they're actually one of the teams that I think um, still have a chance to qualify for the World Cup. Mm, okay, okay. Wow. So, are, are they balancing the, the schedule of this tournament along with World Cup qualifiers that are happening at the same time? I think they did a good job of it because the majority of African um, World Cup qualifiers for Africa, most of it is completed already. Okay, okay. Okay. So well, yeah, okay. Right, right now. Okay. Yeah. So um after this, I think the last international break before the season ends is when the last um games for the African Cup of, for the African teams to play will be played. And like I said, there are some teams that have qualified all, already. Um and funny enough, that has that has affected the that has affected the Cup of Nations. Mm-hmm. Because let me use an example, Ivory Coast. They're not going to the World Cup. They got mm-hmm. knocked out before the final rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and they decided to stick it to Algeria in the group stage and give them four. <laughs> so they're really trying to win this competition because they have okay. a team that should qualify for the World Cup. Wilfred okay. Zaha from Crystal Palace. Frank Kessier, key midfielder for AC Milan. Um, a lot of these guys, um, Sebastian Halla, starting striker for Ajax, scored um, scored it, uh, scored four goals in the Champions League in one match and then scored another hat trick, um, which mm. broke uh, which broke some record in the Champions League this year. Um, okay. So they have players who are actually playing in Europe. Nicolas Pepe from Arsenal. Mm-hmm. These guys should be at the World Cup as the next generation coming on from Drogba, and they didn't qualify. And now they're really taking the, um, the African Cup of Nations seriously. Um, one team that I did want to bring up was, for example, the match between Nigeria and Tunisia today. Yes. That match ended in controversy. The, the Super Eagles, Nigeria, they're a team that should always be in the final four of the African Cup of Nations, and they should always qualify for the World Cup. Now, right. they're, out, they're still in a place to qualify for the World Cup. That's fine. But... Today, um, a lot of Nigerians feel like felt like they were robbed. They they got when they went one 0 down in the 60th minute. Um, Alex Iwobi, um, an Everton player, former Arsenal player, and the nephew of JJ Okocha, mm-hmm. he got a red card that was completely unnecessary. And when you go one 0 down, the last thing you need is to go one man down mm-hmm. against a very good Tunisia team. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm that really affected their game. And one of the problems, like I said... So like I believe, said that they, they believe that the red card was unjust? Yes, it was unjust. It was, it was, it was unjust. I think mm-hmm. it was a rash decision by the referee. It was one of those unavoidable... It wasn't even a tackle. Mm. It wasn't even a tackle. Um, Alex Iwobi controlled the ball, miscontrolled it a bit, and it reached for the ball. And the person who was tackling him pushed his foot under his foot. And okay. Iwobi wasn't even looking at him. Do they have um? Do they use VAR? They do. The they do. Okay. 
But there's been a lot of controversies about um, the decision-making of the referees and um, throughout the competition, which is why I think officiating overall in sports, mm-hmm. like I think they need to take a real deep look at it. We can't have part-time officials. If you're going to have referees, they should be able, they one should be paid enough to for it to be their job in terms of mm-hmm. they can pay attention to it more. Yes, like es- yes. especially in African football, and this we can relate to this in CONCACAF. A lot of the reasons why Jamaica's football and a lot of smaller CONCACAF countries football don't develop well, the players cannot focus on football as their life choice. Mm-hmm. They have to mm-hmm. have a nine-to-five job. Same thing for the referees. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. That, that, and that is the state of things in African football or in some countries in African football. Yeah, like they're like South South Africa, who didn't even qualify for the um Cup of Nations. Um, their league is one of the best leagues in Africa, along with the Egyptian League. They don't go through that many problems, referee, because their referees can literally like it's their focus to be referees. The players can Niger- focus. Okay. What, what about Nigeria and Ghana? They, do, do they have strong leagues? Ghana does have a strong league. You see the thing with Nigeria that Nigeria has um Nigeria has a good system of exporting their youngsters from very young. Also, England, England has a lot of Nigerian uh what, what would you call it? Immigrants. Yes. So for example, a lot of players who could have played for England, um, when they realize that they can't play for England or can't make it to that level, they'll come back to Nigeria and play for Nigeria. Nigeria welcomes that. Now, they don't right. do it to the point where their players don't get any shine. But mm-hmm. the Nigerian league isn't as big because most of the youngsters who are talented, they actually get to go to Europe because Nigeria has a great reputation in Europe. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ghana, however, Ghana's reputation in Europe is not like Nigeria's. You have to remember, Nigeria um, is at the Olympics every year. Uh, if you look at the under-17 World Cups, if you look at the under-21 World Cups, they're always in the final four. Mm-hmm. Like Nigeria has a great reputation in Europe where their youngsters don't even get a chance to play in their league. Yes. Okay. Yeah, um, so it's a Ghana's program not, not as developed as Nigeria. Well, their league is better than Nigeria's league, but they don't have a reputation. They don't have that worldwide reputation, which okay. is why it's a, which is why it's such a huge disappointment that they um, that they fell out so early in the round of sixteen. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. I do want to blame Nigeria for one thing as well. They underestimated the competition coming in this year based on the squad that mm-hmm. they carried. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a okay. lot of players that they left out that, um, like I said, the squad, the, a lot of the start, they made the same mistake Algeria made. They made a top-heavy squad without having quality players that can come off the bench, even though you have access to those players. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, sure, mm-hmm. they brought guys like Wilfred Ndidi from Leicester, Joe Arriba from um, Rangers FC in the, in, in the Scottish Premier League, um, Alexi Wobi from Everton. Um, but there's a lot more players like Osimen from Napoli that they didn't bring. There, there's a lot of they didn't bring their depth. Okay. 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 Sad. Well, um, they underestimated the, the uh, either they underestimated the quality of the competition or they were 
intentionally trying to give exposure to other players? Well, definitely, because they've brought some players from their own league that, that have played well, in all fairness. And, but against this competition, there were players who really shouldn't have been starting. Okay. Like I said, I don't mind you bringing in players from your own league to like supplement for a strong starting eleven, but there were some guys in your starting eleven who really shouldn't have been starting. So when you okay. end up in a position where okay, I need quality now rather than just um, giving someone exposure, then mm. you kind of leave yourself open to a lot. Um, there's okay. teams who don't have that choice. For example, Burkina Faso. Burkina mm-hmm. Faso have very few European class players. But as I told you about Bertrand Chiori on um, your show as well. Yes. Um, his career hasn't turned out as it's supposed to in Europe um, due to a lot of injuries. Uh, he was bought by Chelsea at age 16 after winning the African Cup of Nations, captaining his team to an African Cup of Nations win. Mm-hmm. Um, at age 16, he scored five goals and had five assists in that Cup of Nations. So mm-hmm. a lot of people thought he wouldn't have come to this one. Because, hey, you already okay. won. Mm-hmm. Um, he's now playing for Aston Villa, which injuries caused him not to be playing. He played for Leon in France, which is like the third best team in France. Um, he played well there, but injuries again. And so far, he's been the person leading Burkina Faso in this competition. And they almost lost today. And he scored today. I think I've, I, I have heard Burkina Faso's name. Um, becoming more prominent like in the last five years in African football. Are they a team on the rise or something? Yes. Um, another one of their good, another a few of their players have are playing well in Europe. There's another Traore who starts for Shakhtar Donetsk. No, all the Traores are from Burkina Faso. No, there's Traores all over Africa. Like okay. for every African team, you can name at least five Traores. <laughs> I kid well, you not. It's a dominant family then. Wow. Yeah. So if you go to Germany, there's a lot of mullahs. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those situations. You know, like oh, okay. we have in Jamaica, there's a lot of Browns and Williams and those type of names. And Pattinger and stuff. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> the, 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 um, so I'm seeing that some names which uh, are prominent because of their appearance in the World Cup. So remaining in the competition right now. So like Tunisia, Senegal, um, Cameroon, Morocco, and Ivory Coast, and even Egypt is there. Um, so are these the favorites? Yeah, they came in as favorites as well. Uh, Cameroon, mm. as I said, Cameroon, Senegal with Sadio Mane, Egypt with, um, with Mohamed Salah. Um, and Mohamed El Nene as well from Arsenal. So, like these teams, um, Cameroon won the last competition with um, a similar team, but I'm worried about them because one of the problems with Cameroon, despite them winning the last time, is that there was a lot of infighting within the squad, which mm-hmm. surprised me that they even won the competition. So, they've had to Cameroon and yeah, Cameroon. Cameroon and Nigeria seem to have this history of bad administration, um, 
over the years. I mean, they've always had good talent, but I don't know. I, they, they, they have this, they, they're, they're infamous for bad administration. Definitely. That's definitely true. Um, guys like Jemba Jemba and it overcame that and still managed to win an African Cup of Nations, still managed to play at the World Cup. Um, yes. that, that's something that played Ghana. Uh, like I said, after that golden generation, it's something that played Ghanaian football to where players didn't even go to Ghana to play. Um, okay. to play. Not even for the pride of their country because they didn't like the administration how things were run. But to be more specific with Cameroon, Cameroon's talent has always been able to Okay, we just have so much talent that no matter how much infighting there is, we're still going to qualify for the World Cup and we're still going to probably win half of the Cup of Nations. So the, okay. the, team that, the team that has formed the balance between administration and um, talent has always been the mm. Ivory Coast. Mm. Mm. They've always had that balance. So okay. we're, we're seeing it now, even though they don't have a talented team like when Yaya Torre or the Torre brothers um, were there and the drug bars and the Kalus were there. They're still, they're still um, making the best of the talent that they have. Guys like mm-hmm. Zaha, who were, who, well, you remember when um, Wilfred Zaha was at Manchester United, he was seen as another great English winger. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. declared for the Ivory Coast and he's been playing well for them. So, so that means, well, tell me where, where are Tunisia and Senegal in the mix right now in terms of the supremacy of African football. Where do they lie? Tunisia is a team right now that a lot of their young talents are really developing in Europe. They have an attacking midfielder named Kawi, who plays mm-hmm. for Marseille at the moment. He's one of Marseille's best young talents. Um, but Tunisia has had a player who, um, by the name of Wabi Kazer, um, who, has, who has been a dominant figure in the French League, even though he's not played for a big French League team. I think if you're an English Premier League fan, the last time you would have heard of Wabi Kazri was when he went to Sunderland, he got relegated with them. Yes. Um, but then he went back to the French League and um, continued playing at a very high level. But he's one of those yeah. players who looks world-class in a small team. And if you put him in a big team, he doesn't really look the same, but he's still a good player. But in Senegal? terms of okay. yeah. uh, no, for Sorry. Tunisia actually, for Tunisia. Yes. yes. Um, but Tunisia's youngsters are who are, are the ones who are being underrated. So okay. they actually still have a chance to qualify for the World Cup. And right. they're they're right now one of the favorites to qualify for Africa. Okay. And what about Senegal? Senegal is in the position that Ivory Coast was in um, when they had the Drogba generation. Senegal mm-hmm. has so much talent across Europe that can play in their team that I wouldn't say it puts a lot of pressure. Well, it does put a lot of pressure on their squad because they can, they can name a starting 11 and a bench of European players. They have okay. um, a striker from Villarreal named Dia who is um, playing well in La Liga at the moment. He's currently playing for the squad. Like I mentioned, the right-back from Bayern Munich, Boa Nassar, former Marseille mm-hmm. player as well. Sheku Kuyati, you know him from West Ham and Crystal Palace, can play midfield and centre-back. Um, Quilly Bali from Napoli, Napoli one a world-class centre-back at the moment. Sadio Mane from Liverpool. Um, there's guys like Idrissa Ganagay, um, from Paris Saint-Germain, starting midfielder for Paris Saint-Germain, their defensive midfielder. 
Um, so there's a lot of talent in that squad, and they have players on the bench who can come on. And you have to remember Senegal. You remember Dembaba and Demba Papi Cisse from Newcastle? Yes, yes. Those are guys from Senegal as well. Right, right. So they are loaded with talent. Uh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I see that the finals is two Sundays from now. It's on Super Bowl um, Sunday, I think. Um, it, all right, is it? I think so. Um, but it's two Sundays from now. So I'll be paying even more pro, um, close attention to it. Um, as Because now you're in the in what, round of 16 and the quarterfinals for the quarterfinals now. Okay. Yeah, but sounds very interesting because some of the traditional powers, powerhouses are being challenged and you have the up and coming who are really taking it to them, you know? And here's, here's the thing that's going to shock a lot of people. And I don't know if this was done on purpose or mm-hmm. I can't even say it was done on purpose because it's, it's done based on your placement in your group. Yeah. A lot of the big teams have to face each other early. Okay. Because <laughs> Ni- um, on Wednesday... And Nigeria, Tunisia, is that a big matchup to me? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we weren't so expecting to see that for now. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, even and not a less extent, but even at Ivory Coast, Egypt is uh what I guess you know. Um I guess I couldn't avoid some of it. Yes. I think they were expecting a lot of these big teams to finish at the top of the group. Yes. Um, so I, I think they were thinking, hey, teams like Comoros won't be fit, wouldn't be um playing Cameroon. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the, the team that nobody's talking about in African football is Morocco. Mm. Morocco has so much depth. They, like I said, just like Senegal, they can name two starting 11s filled with European level players. Um, mm. One of the best right backs in the world, now, Hashraf Hakimi, um, he plays for Cameroon. Hakim Ziyech chose to stay at Chelsea rather than come to the African Cup of Nations. As you said, that's a business decision. Because mm-hmm. Morocco has so much talent that hey, let me just there and they're quite and they're um expected to qualify for the World Cup as well. So right. um, you know, they're one of the favorites to win this competition, and they have so much talent that they don't need to bring some of their best players. Adel Tarapt, I don't know if you remember that name, played for Crystal Palace, uh, not Crystal Palace, QPR, Queen's Park Rangers, he played for okay. Tottenham. Um, okay. He's, he was seen as the Moroccan Ronaldinho, but he had, he had disciplinary issues when he was younger. Okay. Um, was, a very la- was a very lazy um, um, player when it comes down to training. So he didn't fulfill what his talent could um, really accomplish. And then right. later, on his, later on in his career, you know, he's now at Benfica, the best, one of the best teams in Portugal and a Champions League level team. And mm-hmm. I guess, you know, I guess sometimes with age, you're mature. But he's playing right. at a very high level right now. But I mean, if you wait until you're 30 years old to really start trying to play at a high level and focus <laughs> on football, it's already yeah. somewhat too late. Yeah. And he decided yeah. not to come come to um to the Cup of Nations because again, the team is so is so um talented or with so much depth. Mm-hmm. And you can give so many other players a chance, like you said, that um they are not bringing even their world-class talent. Hakim right. Ziyech scored for Chelsea today um, to beat Tottenham. Right. And he's a guy that they're saving for the World Cup. Okay. Hmm. 
And there's many okay. other players that, that are across Europe. Munir Eladadi plays for the Sevilla team that is now chasing down Real Madrid. Uh, Sofian Bufal, he played for Lille and he's currently playing for Southampton in the English Premier League. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mazraoui, Ajax starting right back, he's, he decided not to come. Okay. He's currently playing for Ajax right now. Who they won an important match this morning in the Dutch league against their title rivals, PSV Eindhoven. And they took back the lead because of that. And he scored. <laughs> so there's, there's players making business decisions. Um, I know that as a Liverpool fan and me as a Chelsea fan, I want Senegal to get knocked out so that uh, uh, my, goal, my, goal, my goalkeeper can come back and hopefully help us in the title race. Kepa has been playing well for Chelsea, but um, I would still prefer Mendy in my goal. And he's a starter for, he's a starter for um, Senegal. He's a Senegal starting goalkeeper. So they have a Champions League level goalkeeper. Well, Mendy has a lot of things to think about. But, but definitely I don't want um, Egypt and Senegal to cut this short because I need back Money and um, and Salah, <laughs> and Salah you know? so yeah, definitely. Yes, you might you might get your wish by Wednesday. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, possibly when the player yes, because um yeah yeah they're both well. I know that um Tuesday Senegal plays Tuesday and Egypt plays Wednesday. Yes, and again teams like Cape Verde, like they they have not been backing down from the big teams. They're in a round of sixteen for a reason. It's not a fluke why they're there. And Ivory Coast, like I said, being that Ivory Coast is not going to be at the World Cup, they yes. are they are t- they're they're hunting for heads up. Yep, yep, yep. So I would I would I would I would tell um Salah not, not to use up um a lot of his magic for that game to save some for the EPL title. I just, I'm just hoping that they don't, he doesn't get injured. That's the one thing I don't yeah. want um, because yeah. of this, because a lot of coaches did not want to send a lot of their players to the competition this year because mm-hmm. it was delayed until um, into 2022, which a lot of yeah. coaches weren't planning for. And mm-hmm. especially a team like Liverpool is in a title race. And, you know, Arsenal is trying to finish fourth as well, so they need Mohamed El Nene as much as he's not a key player for them. So somebody yeah. that can come off the bench and give them quality minutes. Um, and they, they left some players as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the problem I see Egypt running into. If you take off Salah and El Nene, then this Ivory Coast team can walk all over them. Very, very interesting. What's happening in the African Cup of Nations. Trust me. And it's eating up because even in the quarterfinal, the first quarterfinal is Burkina Faso Tunisia. Yeah. So mm. the big teams are definitely going to meet up with each other um, right now. Cameroon, there's one Cameroon player that I really want to point out. Two players. Andre Onana, I want to welcome him back to the football world. He's a player that has um, he's a player that I've been disappointed by. And also a player that I respect a lot because he's a Barcelona boy. Um, he's mm-hmm. a La Masia Academy graduate. But one of the things, one of the legacies that Samuel Eto left at Barca that a lot of people don't know about, he set up a direct academy link for Cameroonian players to get into Barcelona. Oh, nice. And not, just, not even just Cameroon players, a lot of African players. 
So mm-hmm. you know an African player by Adama Traore, right? Yes. He plays for Wolves. There's there, if it wasn't for Samuel Eto'o, he would have not played for. But he would not have been a Lamasia academy graduate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, along with guys like Keita Balde, along with right. guys like Andre Onana. Now Andre Onana right. was more one of the biggest success stories because um Barcelona decided that hey we can't bring him into the first team at the moment. So Ajax said we'll take him from him. And he went to a Europa League final. Granted, he lost to Manchester United, Jose's man. Mm-hmm. But also, Onana won the African Cup of Nations in Cameroon, last, um, the last African Cup of Nations, as the starting goalkeeper. So he was expected to be on the same level as um, Mendy, where he's a Champions mm-hmm. League level player. And the following year, after, after, after going to the Europa League final, he was a part of that Ajax team that um, destroyed Real Madrid and went to the semi-final of the Champions League and lost to Tottenham. Okay. Yeah, he, again, he was a starter then. But he got a ban. He got banned from football for a year. And mm. that's, where, that's where he disappointed me because um, he got banned for um, performance-enhancing drugs. Wow. Imagine that. Wow. You hardly hear of that these days in football, but I know it happens, but wow. Yeah, so from yeah. bar from yeah, from mm-hmm. Barca Academy graduate to Europa League finalist to Champions League semi-finalist to winner of the African Cup of Nations as a 22-year-old. Mm-hmm. Now he, he just recently signed for Inter Milan. Um, because Ajax just said, Hey, you just kind of messed up our reputation. And he was dropped from the Ajax team. So Inter signed him for free, being that their goalkeeper is very old. Um, Samir Handanovic. So even though Handanovic yeah. is still playing at a high level, they're looking for his replacement. And Onana has been signed by Inter Milan. Let's hope he can clean up his career and learn from the mistake that he made. Like, you don't, he doesn't need performance enhancing drugs. I don't know if it's because he lost to, because again, he won that African Cup of Nations right after playing in the Europa League final. So I didn't see why his confidence would be low enough for him to feel like, hey, I need to take performance enhancing drugs. Mm, no, mm. it could be a reaction from the Real Madrid um, loss because it was mm. a last-minute goal that um, took them out of the competition, a last-second goal that took them out of the competition. Tottenham's Lucas Moura scored a final second goal to knock them out and make it to the final to Liverpool. I don't mm-hmm. know if that was what destroyed his confidence and made him feel like, hey, I need performance enhancing drugs. But he's one of those goalkeepers that's good with the ball at his feet as well as a good um, reflex save shot stopper. But it okay. really messed up his reputation when um, they found out that he was taking performance enhancing drugs and he got banned from football. And the yeah. other player I wanted to speak about um, was Vincent Abubakar, who is the leading goal scorer for the African Cup of Nations overall. How many goals he has? I think he's on five goals at this point. Okay. Yeah, five goals at this point. Leading goal scorer. The next goals, next amount of goals is three. Five is a lot for this. Um, yeah, for this stage, yeah. He's been carrying them, trust me. And he's also the captain of the team as well. And this is a player who a lot of people thought has underperformed throughout his career. Um, he started yeah. in the French league at, at a small team, Lorient, and he scored 14 goals in the league, which prompted him a move to um, FC Porto, best mm-hmm. team in Portugal. Not my favorite team, but it's still they're still the best team in Portugal. Um, right. 
he played well for FC Porto, scored a lot of goals, but everybody thought he would take that next step to a, like a Liverpool or Chelsea because his playing style is very much the copycat of Samuel Eto'o. Mm-hmm. Despite being a very like physical forward who has pace and can like hold up strength with defenders and he's still a damn good dribbler of the ball, still intelligent player. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people thought that he would be the next Samuel Eto'o. Now, he has been that for Cameroon, but not on the club level. Like I said, he already mm-hmm. won the African Cup of Nations last time with them, so he lived up to that for Cameroon. He's one of those players who plays world-class for his country, but for the club level, he just plays as a good player. But for some reason, when he puts on the Cameroon shirt, he's one of those players um, like a George Weah, a Kutcher. And granted, those guys played well for their clubs as well, but um, he's one of those guys who, when he puts on that international shirt, it's a different mm-hmm. Oh, man, he's not, more like uh, Roger Miller. Yeah, Roger Miller, I, I should say. Because yeah. Roger Miller damn near um, was seen like a, a Ballon d'Or candidate just when he's playing for his country. For yep. his country. Yeah, yeah. Even mm-hmm. the final World Cup where he was very old, mm-hmm. still, still played at a very high level. Yes. So, um, Abu Bakar is somebody that Etu is because Etu is at every game mm-hmm. for Cameroon, and he's a player that Etu has supported a lot. Mm-hmm. Because, like yeah. I said, a lot of people see Etu see him as well as that guy who should have been my replacement. Okay. But if you're looking for somebody to be named the best player of this competition, and also might actually increase his market value on the um. Over the next 12 months, I think he'll, especially being that Cameroon is one of those things that's probably going to be at the World Cup, he's somebody yes. that's going to increase his market value. I know he's about 28, 29 now, but you never know. Um, you know, a club might still take that risk uh, later on in his career. Um, we've seen that before with a lot of players where they shine later on in, the, in their career rather than early. So he's one of those guys who, who can do that. So it could be seen as a good window this year is a good window of African footballers because they get exposure to the, uh, the African, they're getting exposure to the club leagues um, in Europe and also the World Cup um, later this year. Yes, and the variety as well, because you have North African countries in terms of Tunisia, Morocco, Algeria, you have West African countries, Ghana, the Ivory Coast. And you still have countries like um, South, Amer- um, South America who have the best league in Africa. Um, and they're actually getting a lot more broadcasting. Um, no, being sports picked them up. BT Sports picked them up. Um, they have their own personal channel, Super Sports, which is the best um, channel in Africa overall. So mm. they're getting a lot of attention as well. Um, I remember telling you about the Orlando Pirates, which is my favorite African team. Mm-hmm. They're from the they're from the South Africa. They're from they're from the South African League. Okay. Um, so they've been getting a lot more. And there's and a lot more money is being pumped into African football. There are a lot of um biz, billionaires that are taking over African clubs. Okay. Mm. Wow. Now, okay. That's that's where I want to end it on the African Cup of Nations. And the next cup, the next thing I wanted to speak to you about was um something that really made me question a lot about football is. At what point does your passion for the sport that you love to play um, overcome that need for you to be alive? 
we're mm. seeing more in recent years now, we're seeing a lot more players are finding out that a lot more players are playing with heart conditions in football. And for a sport that is played over 90 minutes where we don't have to take water breaks. Yes. Um, it's been one of those things that is hard on my mind because before players, I guess, used to hide it or unless you see the player fall down on the field, you wouldn't know that he has a heart condition. And the some right. players didn't even know because Christian Eriksen has played for so long and there's never been any talks about any heart condition. He's played in the highest leagues in the world from Dutch football to playing for Tottenham Hotspur in the Premier League, which is considered the most intense league. And he was a standout player. And we've never heard of a heart condition until he um, collapsed in the yeah. Euros. Euros, Euros, sorry. Yeah, for Denmark. And he was having a mm-hmm. great Euros up until that moment. Yes, yes, yes. But the, the, the first player to bring it to my attention really was Eric Abidal playing for Barcelona back in the day. Um, and when we learned of his health, issues and um as a player of football i mean it was the first time it really came to my consciousness um and clearly you have to understand the priorities and that life and health is a first source of wealth um so it has to, it has to be that players understand and i know that i mean for most and particular players from less developed countries the, not just a passion for them, but is their livelihood. And there are so many um, persons who depend on them and um, communities who depend on them for survival. But at the same time, you can't help if you're not alive um, that much. So the, the health has to come first. Um, it's just that there are sometimes differences in medical opinions about whether where do you draw the line? You know, how do how serious the condition is? You maybe have to start putting levels to it to say, okay, up to that level, it's okay for you to play, but beyond that level, no. You know, because it seems like it's a almost an individual decision you know, between for the player and the clubs and what risk they are willing to take, because no club wants to appear to be greedy enough to be having a player play against um, what is their best interest and be labeled with that stigma of playing, playing them to death, you know, in pursuit of, of, um, of, of the, the, the prize winnings and the money and the glory in the sport. So it's a real, it's a, I think it's something that needs to be more structured and more administered, like in the NFL where you have the concussion protocols now. Um, you know, it's something that you're going to need more administration around and so it doesn't become an individual club decision. Now, in recent years, we've also seen this happening in the NBA where uh, one of the more high-profile cases was Chris Bosch playing for Miami Heat and how there was a period there for about two to three years when he said he could play and the club didn't want to play him because... They didn't want to take the risk. But he said his medical advisor said he was okay. The club's medical advisors said no. But clearly, the club's medical advisors are taking more than just his, his uh, medical condition in, in, in consideration. They're taking the risk that the club is taking and the reputational damage if something were to go wrong. You know, so um, 
And at the end of the day, it's still a business decision that he's making. But he's making a personal business decision as well because he has goals that he has to meet. He has commitments and obligations. So, you know, that was a very, very, very topsy-turvy situation. And it was a very controversial one with Chris Bosch as to whether they were depriving him of, of um, sad earnings, you know, future earnings and, it was a vexed situation for us a while. And then even more recently, we've seen LaMarcus Aldridge after being traded from, um, I think it was from Spurs to the Nets, that he also was um, diagnosed with a condition and had to step out of the game for a while. I, th- I think he's back now, though. Um, but we're seeing it pop up more and more uh, in sports across the spectrum. And it's something which needs to be because it's health and because it's a matter of life and death. It's something which needs to be regulated and administered from the league level rather than just the individual clubs. Well, Italy, I guess Italy is following your advice to some extent because they literally have a rule that says, hey, if a player has a heart monitor, they can't sign for a club. And this has mm-hmm. cost um, Christian Eriksen his career at Inter Milan. Just won mm-hmm. the league with Inter Milan as their best attacking midfielder last season. Then went to the um, US with Denmark and, you know, what happened, happened. Um, he collapsed on the field and had to be revived by one of his teammates. Before even a medical staff touched him, um, Simon Tajer, um, the captain mm-hmm. of the Denmark team and AC Milan starting centre-back. And it's funny, mm-hmm. AC Milan player saving an Inter Milan player's life. Wow. Um, so football, football has its rivalries, but there's, so there comes a point where, you know, of course. Um, yeah, like you're still we're brothers human. at the end of the day. Yeah, we're human beings first. Yeah. yeah. So um, with Ericsson's situation, he's been he's putting a heart monitor that will revive him if he passes out again, which is um, some the same thing that Daily Blind has done um, for Ajax. Now most people know Daily Blind for his time at Manchester United under Louis van Hall, that World Cup performance um, under Louis van Hall for the Netherlands as well. And Mm -hmm. he's currently one of the captains of of Ajax. And he collapsed during a Champions League match and actually wanted to go back on the field after he was Mm. born. And he says, hey, it's a regular thing. It's happened before, happened in training. Um, We saw at Atletico Madrid, um, Dembele. There's a striker called Dembele, a French striker who plays for Leon. Atletico right. Madrid wanted to sign him permanently, but they took him in on loan. And Atletico Madrid is one of those teams who plays very physical. They still mm-hmm. play that pragmatic style. And mm-hmm. their training regimen is one of the most rigorous in Europe in terms mm-hmm. of because it depends on the fitness and the physicality of the players. Mm-hmm. He passed out in training and the players had to um, hurry up and get him to um, the ambulance that was literally on the training pitch at by the training pitch. And Atletico Madrid decided, hey, we're not going, as much as we wanted a new striker, we're sending him back to Leon. Wow. Wow. Now, I also understand that there is a situation, a recent situation closer to home. Uh, Yes. So for all of the Canadian and Ghanaian fans as well, because this is a Ghanaian-born player who moved to Canada when he was a child. Um, because Ghana was in a war situation, so his parents decided to flee the country. They ended up in Canada. Canada embraced him and his family as well. 
as they've embraced a lot of Jamaicans here, so it's a lot closer to home being that we're from the CONCACAF region. And um, Alfonso Davis, who is now considered the best left-back in European football for Bayern Munich, he caught COVID the other day, and he's never had heart issues. And he now has a mild heart condition where the muscles that pump blood, well, the muscles of the heart that you know pump blood are now inflammated. Mm. Which can cause a lot of heart complications or even send you into shock because every time that heart beats, um, being that the muscles are inflamed, one, it will be painful and could send them into shock. Mm. Wow. So um, they're saying that it's a direct result from the COVID situation. Yes. But it's mild. One of the great one of the good things that they that um I've been hearing from the situation, it's a mild heart condition. So he doesn't I don't know if he has to wear a heart monitor yet. We're not mm-hmm. um, that far along, but Bayern has dropped him from the squad, not from the team. He's still a Bayern player. Their, their medical staff in Germany is still looking after him. Um, but mm-hmm. they decided, hey, you're not stepping on this field until we know that we can put you on this field. It's and really a big risk, you know, big risk. And that's why you see everybody careful even a, a big player like, um, like Ericsson, you know, because... It's a huge risk the club is taking as well. Because as I said before, anything that happens, it goes on the club's record, on the club's watch. It's seen as easy for them to be blamed and to say that they did not take the player's interest at heart as much. Because you know, they will say if you leave it to the player, yeah, they, they will always want to play. It's their passion. It's also their livelihood. So sometimes they're not the best person. They can be a hazard to themselves. So it, it sometimes requires a more responsible decision. You know, some of them can be more objective on it. So it's really a, a tough situation for the clubs. At the same time, if they don't play them, they are also effectively ending their careers. You know? And Canada has been feeling, Canada has um, felt the brunt of it being that they're, they're, a, they're a team that realistically will, to me, even without Alfonso Davis, they will make the World Cup. And this is their golden generation because mm. not only do they have Alfonso Davis, they also have a French league winner in Jonathan David. They have a mm. Turkish league winner in Kyle Larin. They have one mm. of the best young midfielders in Portugal in Estacchio. They have a young guy playing in Italy um, by the name of Posile. Uh, they have experienced players like Daniel Henry, who used to play for West Ham. They have players like um, Balo Tabla. Now, Balo Tabla is a player that um, went to play for Barca, but didn't really make it and had to go back to the MLS. But he's still mm-hmm. a good player, one of the better players in the MLS. So mm. they're in a situation now where, okay, Alfonso is our best player, a part of this golden generation that is going to qualify for the next World Cup. Because they're the third best team in CONCACAF, right? Mm. outside of wow. US and Mexico even past Jamaica as, as much as Jamaica has had um, been playing football at a high level for longer than they have this golden generation that they have of players playing in Europe they have more players playing at a high level in Europe than Jamaica than Jamaica so Jamaica's yeah. Jamaica's a lot more players in Europe overall but at playing at a high level where you're winning the French League for Lille mm-hmm. winning the Champions mm-hmm. League for Bayern um, mm-hmm. Playing at a high level in the Portuguese league. Um, and like I said, players moving in from Barca and all of that. Players playing in the Syria. So they have a good like um, compilation of players that um, 
have European class experience. Um, one of their most experienced players, Atiba Hutchinson, um, has played in the Turkish League all his life on the Shiktas, won multiple Turkish League um, titles. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, he's very old and he's like the elder statesman amongst the youngsters. So he's their captain, their guide. And um, he wants to play at a World Cup for Canada. And I do think they're going to make it. But Alfonso Davis is a big part of those plans. Mm. Mm. Okay. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, as we can see, it is affecting um, players and, and clubs far and wide, close to home and far away. So this is something that really sports administrations need to start look at from a high level rather than it being adjudicated at the club level at the moment. I agree with that also. Um, that's where we're going to wrap up the 90th Minute Whistle podcast for today. I'm so happy that um, Lance decided to do this with me today because I don't mind doing the podcast alone, but I love having somebody <laughs> to argue with. Um, yes, yes, yes. I know I'm a person that loves hearing myself talk because I feel like I'm super fascinating, but I definitely know that my podcast is better with somebody. Whether, even if it's somebody that agrees with a lot of the stuff I say, I like yes. bouncing ideas off of another mind and you know, yes. to step in when I, to step in when my when my co-host Leon is actually under a lot of pressure when it comes down to work, yes. um, because he has other businesses that actually help our business as well. Yeah, so yeah. he has been doing a he has been doing a lot of work. I really appreciate work that he has been doing, um, mm-hmm. because he's the one building our app, building our website. Um, Mario just talks. Mario just talks a lot of sports. Um, I do a little editing as well, but like I said, he's the one teaching me how to edit. So. Right. Like there's a lot he's been been doing. So I was like, uh, it's great that Lance could just like step up um when you know his name called, you know, like a player in the playoffs who you're not expecting to play, but came up and stepped up and did this thing. Um, it's my pleasure, check- man. <laughs> it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Um, you know, I, I I relish the role of being a super sub, you know. So <laughs> so I I like the glory that I get <laughs> the opportunity that I have. Um, just to come on the platform, um, you know, you know, sad to say, but you know, in an ironic way, his his loss is my gain, you know, and I I'm happy for him to be busy building other areas of the Live Sports um, Media Group while I can slot in and keep the, the show going, you know. Yeah, trust me, you say you save my son then because like this podcast would have been a lot shorter today if it was just me. Okay, um, uh, you guys can check out uh check out the 90th minute whistle podcast on anchor and on spotify and you can check out live sports uh, on facebook at live sports one you can check us out on twitter at live sports one you can check us out on instagram live.sports and like i said you can also check out the one love um sports show on anchor and on spotify Yes, man, if you press for time, you know, if you press for time and you want a very quick summary of what's happening in the sports world, be sure to join the One Love Sports Show where you get the best 30 minutes in all of sports. And if you want to hear Mario out of his comfort zone, like I'm very good at these long conversations, but like Lance has pulled me out of my comfort zone into giving like short, quick takes. And I really think it has helped me um, as well in terms of just overall being a sports analyst. Good stuff, man. Yes, I'm very thankful for that. So we'll see you guys next time. Great.